Hey, hey, we're your hosts. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Jonathan. And we believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give to yourself is the gift of wholeness through integrating all aspects of what it means to be human. And in this podcast, we're bringing you insight, information, and inspiration to move from a stressful to stress-free life. Your journey to becoming even healthier and happier starts right now. Welcome to Wellness Theory, the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. I'm excited to be introducing you to the lovely Tash Enriquez, who has facilitated and curated educational wellness and coaching experience for over 17 years. After her first degree in fitness management, she then went on to achieve her postgraduate diploma in sports and exercise science and medicine. She established the Sport and Wellness Science Lab at New York University, Abu Dhabi, where she conducted research in areas of neuroscience, sports psychology, and wellness. But not only that, Tash is also an ICF certified life coach, a horse-guided empowerment facilitator, and a seasoned consultant and speaker. She runs her own uh, business, which is called Creative Coaching, and is on a mission to empower individuals through education on physiological principles, mindset, mindset shifts, and self-empowerment, helping them discover their unique happiness frequency and improve their lifestyles. Welcome to the show, Tash. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I am very excited for you to be here because we've got to talk about. And first of all, congratulations on the launch of your book. There's so much work that goes writing your book. So congratulations on that. There it is. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it so much. It's so vibrant. I really love that. Yes. Listen, this is the first time our audience is hearing from you. So let's kick off the conversation, if you could, by just telling us a little bit about you and your personal journey and what's actually led you here for us having this conversation today. Sure. Um, so let's start with where I am right now. So uh, I live in Abu Dhabi. I've been here for 15 years. Uh, my little family is my son, who is five. And uh, my dog and my cat, you might hear my dog later on, let's see. <laughs> There's another dog walking outside and you might hear him. Um, I love working in Abu Dhabi. I, uh, I really enjoy that uh, environment here that's all about change, all about growth. Uh, there are so many opportunities. Um, but yeah, as I said, that willingness to change and... Uh, to to try new methods of enhancing not just your performance but also your well-being the understanding of how connected that all is i find that very unique um it's obviously something that not many people might expect from a middle eastern country and yet here we are having exactly that and i know charlotte we had we were talking about this before um so yeah uh, so what led me on my path? So my background is in um, sports science. Uh, my first degree was in fitness management. And what led me to do that was actually um, an injury that I occurred when I was uh, only 20, I think. Yes, 20. So my first career path was to become a dancer. And uh, in preparation for the second year dance exam, I then uh, injured myself, starting with shin splints, um which is an inflammatory disease on the along the shins uh from repetitive jumping and um fast forward uh, a few months i was in horrible pain i had then learned that i also had a stress fracture in my lower back which i wasn't aware of before um and uh i, I was miserable i mean i was 20 years old 
when it all started, I was in chronic pain. I couldn't walk fast without having pain in my shins. Um, but then the back really started kicking in and then it got even worse. I couldn't stand up um, without assistance very often. Uh, I had issues with my hips as well. So it was all nicely complex. And uh, what I got was a lot of diagnosis by doctors such as uh, fusion, fusion surgery of the vertebrae and the lower spine. Um, I was told that I would definitely need an artificial hip joint uh, before I turned 30. Um, and 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 a whole range uh, so that that lasted for about two three years i think um again this is with chronic pain and at such a young age you know where where you want to feel like you are at the height of your physical strength and power and uh, the world is your oyster and there i was feeling pretty much the opposite um and then uh i was visiting uh, my mom and I met an old school friend of mine who uh, has always been a bodybuilder. He actually had his little home built gym in his basement and he took me there. You know, he saw I could hardly walk. Um, it was as far as I remember, it was really the lowest I went because just going by train to where my mother lived was like a five hour train journey uh, meant that after I was pretty much not able to move. Mm -hmm. um, so he took me into this little basement gym and uh, put me on the leg press. So for those of you who don't know it, it's basically a machine where you push your legs out or you push yourself out and you can really load quite a lot of weight onto a leg press as he did. And I thought he was crazy, right? I could hardly walk and there he is loading up this thing. And, um, but with even that first session, of course, that was nowhere near the cure of my, uh, of my pain. Uh, but in this first session, I realized how that would be the answer to my problems eventually. Um, so that's how I got into fitness. And um, I always focused on rehabilitative training. Um, I think, you know, having to rehabilitate myself, uh, I learned so much. And uh, I think I'm quite good at recognizing what a body needs, what a physical body needs. So how did I end up with life coaching and making a transition is uh, during my time working at NYU, I uh, had a very new challenge, which was that we didn't charge people for personal training sessions. So something that I had noticed before, which is that it is quite difficult for people to create that intrinsic motivation to stick to a program, um, you know, that's often linked to the monetary value uh, that people have to to actually uh, be willing to spend. And if that's removed as well, there's really not much left, right? There's no, there's no urge. Um, no, there is no urge, which there should be, right? So I got really frustrated because I often felt that I was my client's biggest uh, cheerleader and uh, and supporter. And I'm, I'm standing there like, you can do this. You need to do this. This is, you know, this is so important. Um but I wasn't really able to do that, no matter how hard I tried. So this is where I thought, okay, maybe life coaching is going to be um, a helpful tool. And then when I started life coaching, so the uh, method in which I trained in is called uh, brain-based coaching uh, by the Neuroscience uh, Institute. And I loved it because it, it just got me to understand how the brain is really trained like the human body as well. So everything I had learned before in, uh, in in sports science and exercise science is transferable 
not everything, but most things are transferable to coaching the mind. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I started to becoming more and more aware of the connection um, between our physiological body and our our brain and with that or with our mind and with that the connectedness between the interconnectedness between uh, mental and physical um, well-being so now this is what creative coaching does and stand for so with all the programs that I do whether it be corporate training programs whether it be working with individuals whether it's be um, the horse guided empowerment um, I aim to really open people's eyes to, as I said, these connections, um, but also give them all the tools because uh, the absolute positive of this connection is that it gives us such a huge variety of tools and ways to affect our well-being, if we want to talk about well-being. And that's what I talk about in the book as well. So the book basically um, describes my coaching methodology and why that holistic approach um, so I have sections in there that are about nutrition. I have sections in there that are about mindfulness. I have sections in there that describe other ways how we can enhance our our well-being. Nice. This is a great intro. I mean, there's so many different ways, again, that I can unpack that. I'm sure our listeners hear, hear me say that all the time to our guests. Um, but, Tash, I'd love for you to share... Um, if possible, like you, you obviously went through a serious amount of stress in those early days when you were suffering from that injury, right? Like you said, 20 years old, physically, your body is under a lot of stress. Mentally, how's your mental health during that period out of curiosity? Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, I mean, it was it was severe depression. Um, and just earlier today, I was uh, running a workshop on uh, desktop optimization. And we had a lovely discussion around how something as simple as setting up your desk workspace properly um, feeds into your mental health. Why? Because if you're not doing that, chances are you are exposing yourself to pain, to potentially chronic pain, uh, which of course affects your mental health and well-being. So yeah, at that time, uh, again, as I said, I mean, big factor was it's not as if I had friends that were 20 years old as well, that were going through the same thing, you know? Um, so first of all, that played a huge role. It's not like uh, I was surrounded, you know? I, I was having the symptoms of a uh, of someone at 85, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, with, with 20 or 21, I don't remember how old I was when I first heard it, but talking about an artificial hip joint, uh, a hip replacement surgery, you know, but, excuse me, what? <laughs> you know? Did you see my age? Like, can, you, can you see me? That's, that's um, why are we talking about this even? Um, but I think the, the most, um, uh, or the worst was, uh, was really the chronic pain. You know, chronic pain just grinds at you. It's, it's uh, no matter how high your pain tolerance, no matter how, how, how resilient you are, uh, there's only yeah there's only so much you can you can do when you are in pain you know um and the funny thing is that uh you know since then so after this so once I rehabilitated myself I went and I was like this is what I want to work in right and I started um that first um uh, degree which as I said was in fitness management and during that time I had 
the most amazing uh, uh, teachers and, uh, you know, really was learning uh, so much. Uh, I would almost argue more than I did in my master's. Um, and uh, the reason why I'm smiling is because back then, uh, so sports science really started to do or to, to release a lot of studies and research um, I would say from 2010, 2015, there was like the height of that. Um, so, but I did my training from 2004 to 2006. So back then, a lot of it is what we know as, uh, you know, the bro science. So it was the dudes that were throwing weight plates around in the gyms. And, and from their experience, they came to conclusions um and i had one professor that was exactly one of those youth i mean he was an ex-bodybuilder um and so everything he told us back then he taught us back then i repeated during my masters uh but now scientifically proven and validated which was quite interesting um anyway sorry uh, i lost track there for a second so um that's, that's, that's really interesting, right? Because there's so much information out there at the best of times, and especially now, right? There's so many people with opinions rather than actual science to back things up. And, you know, I, I know some things can, you know, almost go against the norm, even when it comes to science. But on the whole, you know, we need to make sure that the things that we're learning and understanding, particularly when it comes to stress relief and the body and the mind, is that it's coming from credible sources. So I'd love for you to share, Tash, if you wouldn't mind, a bit more information in and around that mind-body connection. Like mm-hmm. what the progress you saw, not just through your education, but also through your own um, journey and what you kind of maybe did think about mind-body connection versus to maybe what you know now. I think probably the same. You know, even now when I was uh, writing my book, um, there were a lot of things that I researched that came up. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And that makes intuitive sense. But we've forgotten about it. I mean, I think a lot with when it comes to wellness and to mindfulness, you know, we're now looking back at very ancient practices and sciences. um, And we're now starting to scientifically research them and validate them. Um, And let me be clear here. Sports science is very... Uh, very difficult because we always work with quite low numbers Um, you know so we don't have large sample sizes and the reason being is that it's very difficult to find a group of people that you can use for your research that fulfill the same criteria so you need to find people that have the same age the same uh, background in terms of the same training uh, background um, the same or similar injury history, uh, similar lifestyles, because the moment you change any of these patterns, nutrition, uh, stress levels, talking about that, you know, the moment you change one of these parameters, it very easily then uh, becomes a bit deflected. And people then also need to commit to participate in a study. And this is where it gets a bit difficult, because when it comes to sports science, wellness, all of that, we cannot really research Uh, over a short period of time so this is why also this field of research is quite new and science is quite new so with that being said you know we're now looking at yoga we're now looking at breathing techniques we're now looking at all of these kind of things and what you said is very true we want to have credible sources however I also think people do need to trust their own gut instinct a little bit more 
and go with what is common sense, you know, what might be best practice and also look at uh, history. You know, if something's been around for a very long time, then it's probably valid. Uh, so one of the things when I was saying, you know, when I was writing the book, one of the things that I thought was so interesting is that um, humming and singing and chanting uh, strengthens the vagus nerve. This is something, sorry, so the vagus nerve, maybe we should explain that at this point. So the vagus nerve um, helps us to switch between our parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system, which is the parasympathetic being our uh, relaxed state of mind and the sympathetic nervous system being our um, fight or flight response when we're stressed, so we're in there. So the vagus nerve helps, uh, helps us to switch between one and the other. So strengthening the vagus nerve is something quite important. Um, this is something very well used in yoga. Um, there's specific postures that are meant to strengthen the vagus nerve. Uh, there's certain breathing types that are meant to get us easier into the parasympathetic state, which is when we have a longer exhalation compared to the inhalation. But then it's also chanting and humming. And I remember that I had learned that uh, in my yoga teacher training, but I've kind of forgotten about it. And then as I was thinking about it, you know, it's so interesting how chanting, singing, humming is a practice that's around in so many different cultures around the world. So obviously we have the singing in the Christian churches. Uh, we have the chanting in the more Buddhist traditions. We have humming, we have repetitive voicing in Islam as well during prayer time. Um, we have cultural uh, use of singing, of chanting. Uh, if we look into the more Native American tribes, there is always that chanting, that uh, that singing as well, certain singing, singing uh, uh, rituals for special occasions. Um, so we really find that throughout the world, no matter what religious or cultural background. Um, and that's, I find, such a fascinating example of humans having used a technique to calm themselves down since the beginning of times. Yeah. Um, but it's something that we're not actually consciously aware of. Um, and we have so many of these things, you know, and, and we're just leading lives now where we're so disconnected from our roots. We're so disconnected from our ancient knowledge. Um, and yes, now there's that hype of, oh, it needs to be scientifically verified. Because it's like, well, you might also just, you know, take up a history book and uh, and see how <laughs> people cured certain diseases or certain symptoms uh, thousands of years ago. And chances are you're actually going to find quite useful and valid information in there. Exactly. And it's so funny you say that because like one of the things we always talk about here on this podcast is know yourself try something you know what helps you feel good most of the time right it's usually not the practice that's the issue it's usually that connection between mind and body that you're on the yeah. same page to be able to actually move forward i know you talk a lot about mind body um, connection in your book but before we dive kind of maybe deeper into the book your book is titled the happiness frequency what what is the happiness frequency give us some context so the context was I started to have um, a workshop series uh, two years ago, I think. And um, a place where I always ended up was creating the hormonal foundation for physical and mental health and well-being. Um, and again, this is a big part of, of that 
awareness. So the happiness frequency for me is a place where on a cellular level, um, as well as on a spiritual level, we vibrate in a way that uh, makes us happy, yeah. right? Um, but yes, it, it definitely is um, a physiological foundation as well. So the subtitle of the book is Your Blueprint for Mental and Physical Well-Being. Um, and as I said, it, it really is meant to give you that foundation and how you can create it for yourself. But I absolutely agree with what you said, you know, try it for yourself, but also being aware that not everything is going to work for you. It has to fit into your lifestyle. It has to uh, fit your likes and dislikes. Um, you know, for example, if you were to find out that uh, turmeric is really good for you because you have a lot of inflammation in your body, but now you hate the taste of turmeric, yeah. uh, so, you know, then eating turmeric every single day is going to add stress to your life. It's not going to do anything for you. And stress is going to increase your toxicity level. It's going to increase your inflammation. So, if, Sorry, go on. Yeah. So if you absolutely hate meditation, you know, and now you're forcing yourself to do it. It's just not going to work. So you can have the most amazing tool. If you don't like it, that's fine. Because the good news is there's always more than one way and even more than five ways uh, in achieving a certain result. Because as you're saying, you know, it, it just has to fit you. It has to be right for you. I think there's a big problem out there from a lot of the people that we speak to a lot of people in our community even the, the you know the listeners to this podcast can sometimes experience that almost like toxic side of health and well-being where it's like mm. you can't wake up at five and do breast work and an ice bath, ice bath then you know there's something wrong with you and it's actually what that then does is it starts to create or draw upon this sense of shame right and shame is one of the lowest vibrational emotions that exist so I love that you're combining this information with the sense of frequency and vibration if anybody's curious to learn more about that obviously go and check out um, doc, um, Dr David Hawkins work mm -hmm. uh, in and around vibration but it's so interesting to me that we have all of these incredible tools that are available yet the way it is framed typically when you look at things like social media and unfortunately toxic kind of coaching that exists out there it can actually really put the the onus back onto the individual as if it's something wrong with them so i think it's really important for us to you know treat ourselves with a level of compassion but also like you said just knowing no i like this i don't like that and that's okay <laughs> yeah and it's meant to make you happy right so Definitely fully agree. I mean, if you think about it, everything we do is around shame. We exercise because we feel guilty because we've eaten too much over the weekend, right? Uh, we, we like even, as you said, we punish ourselves with mindfulness rather than nurturing ourselves with mindfulness. We punish ourselves with diet, with our nutrition, rather than eating to nourish our body. Uh, and to feed our body the right kind of nutrients and uh, the right kind of energy as well. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about energy, right? It's all about how our energy flows and, and what enhances our energy and what drains our energy. Um, so yeah, anything that you do that you don't like uh, or hate is going to drain your energy. And anything you do, as you said, from guilt, from a place of guilt, from a place of shame, from a place of I have to being forced into something, uh, you know, so even if you think, oh, I have to take better care of my body. I mean, that's already 
that's already not a good place to start, right? Because if you have to, hmm, well, chances are you're not going to enjoy it. Um, however, if you like to take better care of your body, that's a whole other story, you know, uh, because that is slowly going to help you to develop that that element of self-love where it's really around, oh, you know what? I really want to take better care of myself because I deserve it. Yeah. Right? So now we're in a completely different mindset space. It's like my body deserves this because it's carrying me around all day long. Um, <laughs> you know. so uh, when you can shift from that place of forcing it, isn't it, to a place of being empowered. And I love that that's part of your mission is literally to empower people because as soon as we are operating from that space, we can move out of shame being the intentional yeah. driver. So how does somebody listening to this in your experience, and perhaps there's, um, well, for sure there are things inside your book that will help them with this, but how does somebody start to flip that? If they are experiencing that shame drive rather than mm-hmm. more of a, a loving vibe, where do they begin in your eyes? so if you want to dive quite deep which I think you might have to for this for this question is to really see where that lack of self-love comes from Mm -hmm. right what are the beliefs that are there that prevent you from having that more loving self-care attitude um and that can be a little bit tricky yes I do have that in my book (laughs) I do talk about paradigms I do talk about you know, our self-beliefs that can absolutely hinder us uh, to do a lot of things. Uh, I call them the little trolls, you know, they're around uh, shame, they're around uh, punishment, they're around uh, feeling not good enough, not worthy, worthlessness. Um, And we do need to know where they come from simply because quite often they belong way back in our past. They don't belong into our present moment. Um, so we can remind ourselves uh, where we are and you know what kind of attitude we should have right now by simply listing our achievements, by simply listing um, the great things our bodies are doing for ourselves, the great things uh, we have achieved as a whole. Um, and... Um, And then I think it's going back to these small steps, right? I feel like a lot uh, of people jump into extremes. So we already said, whatever you do, it has to fit. It has to fit you. It has to fit into your life. It has to fit your likes and dislikes. It has to just click and connect. So it has to make intuitive sense. Um, It has to be enjoyable, always. If it's not enjoyable, you're not going to do it. And if you're going to do it and you're stressed again, so we don't want to have that. Um, and then small and simple steps, you know, I mean, uh, lots of people, New Year's resolutions, uh, best example. I don't know if you, yes, you also worked prolonged periods of time in a gym, right? Where you could like see what's happening in a gym. So I always find it fascinating. So obviously January, busiest time of the year. Woo, everybody's pumped going for a New Year's resolution. And then so I focused in rehab training, right? I wasn't really busy in January, you but come like mid end of February, boof, everybody is knocking on my door and going like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm having these aches, I'm having these pains. It's like, oh, well, no kidding. Or people would just start having their colds and flus because their immune system was running really low because they were overtraining for this whole time. 
So we don't just do that with fitness, but again, I like to always give that fitness example because it makes a lot of intuitive sense to most people. Um, you know, so most people, when they start running, they don't think like, oh, I'm going to run twice a week for 10 minutes. I've never heard anyone say that. Basically, that would be the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I have to, I'm going to run every single day for at least half an hour. Yeah. That's not going to happen if you haven't run regularly before, right? So twice a week for 10 minutes would be a very sensible approach in the beginning. And then you slowly, gradually build it up, but nobody does that. So we go into extremes. We do the same with diets, okay? So, I mean, dieting is one of my favorite uh, things to talk about <laughs> uh, because, you know, again, I find it so fascinating how people have never taken the time to learn the basics of a healthy, well-balanced nutrition. Um, don't understand the ins and outs of your macros, your micros, and how it actually not just affects your weight, because that's really the least thing we should worry about. We should worry about our energy levels. We should worry about our health, our immune system, our gut health, um, our mental health. We should worry about all these things, but we don't. We just worry about losing 5 kg on the scale. ASAP. Which is why we then, without knowing the basics, jump into extremes and we go for our keto diet and we go for intermittent fasting or we go for intermittent vegan uh, keto. Uh, it's also great. You know, we go for all these kind of things. Are you going to lose your 5 kg on the scale? If you're sticking to it, probably uh, because, you know, super restrictive. Um are you going to have a social life? No. Are you going to enjoy it? Probably not. Uh, is it going to add a lot of stress to your life by having to be so focused on how many carbs, how much protein, how much fat? Uh, where are you going to get that from? Yes, it's going to be stressful. So is it going to be sustainable? No. And then what happens? You're going to plateau because your stress levels are your high, so high, your cortisol levels are so high, which then causes you to keep the fat and uh, and your body is fighting against the way you're eating and it's all just turning out to be a mess um but again you know this is what we do we punish ourselves with the way we eat uh we jump into extremes and the same as you said with uh with meditation as well you know oh i'm gonna be super happy this year i'm gonna live a happier life you know i'm gonna change my life around i'm gonna do it so i'm gonna get up every day at 4 30 because that's what the old yogis used to do before sunrise I'm gonna get my meditation practice in i'm gonna do this this that before my work day even started and i'm gonna do that every single day um from now until i die yeah. um, <laughs> Listen, I, I, I hear you on this like and I think everybody's guilty of this at some point in their life I definitely am 100% I'm very much this all or nothing mentality but the difference is, is you know to go back to the kind of the question was like how does somebody flip that right from coming from, mm -hmm. from a place of almost like doing it for, for from a place of shame or I'm not feeling like I'm enough and that was it for me and then flipping that on its head what I really love is that you said you've got to look into that past stuff you've got to look into those beliefs which is absolutely necessary but also like you've said it's like look at the extremes there's going to be clues there there's going to be some massive clues and making sure that it fits your lifestyle is so so important right yeah. now um jonathan and i our listeners obviously know um jonathan um we are doing a kind of 
uh, lean and strong body transformation thing for the next uh, the next 12 weeks and it's more of a performance goal we did we set different stretch goals for ourselves over time and in the past I've never done anything quite like this but in the past like I would have done it from the wrong kind of place or from an unhealthy mm-hmm. place but this time it's all it's flipped it on its head because like we are we are doing exactly what you described in terms of like measuring your macros and all the rest of it because it's been the first week and you with, with what we've got is like you you've got to be rain man to do the math but just to make your own lunch you know so it, it's kind of it is that extreme end of things but it's coming from a healthy place now um and th- th- there's real pure intention behind it which is really important but that stress it would have been really unhealthy stress before but now yeah, this is coming from like a, a healthier stress <laughs> it's definitely stretching me <laughs> um, and it's, it's you know increasing my capacity <laughs> uh, which is really yeah. And I would love for you to touch on that because in your book, you talk about something called stress addiction, right? So can you explain what that means and how our listeners can maybe recognize it and break free from that kind of addiction? Yes. But first of all, (laughs) I actually have all the formulas that you want in my book. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you know all of that, but I just wanted to say, I'm not against you know, counting your food, measuring your food. I think that's a very valid exercise. And I actually do really have that in my book. Um, as I said, you have all the you have all the formulas in there. I don't know if you can see it. Um, and the reason why I put it in there because it's about making informed decisions. So I just want to say that as well. So yeah. there's nothing wrong for some people with going to extremes, right? So for someone like you, who's been experienced with different sorts of exercise, different types of exercise, different intensities of exercise, you know, if you you now set yourself a more intense goal, um, or you have a certain time frame where you know, okay, I'm going to go crazy during that time, you know, and this is what I want to achieve, that's a different story, right? But that's why, again, it's so important to really know where you are, and to also have that basic kind of knowledge, because If you're going for your diet, if you want to really work on your nutrition, yes, you do actually need to have an understanding on how to plan your meals. You're not going to do that for long because you know that, right? I mean, you start measuring and you start weighing your meals. And in the beginning, it seems like, okay, this is super tedious. But then you do it for a few days and you realize, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm always eating the same. Yeah. Right. I have my my few things. So you, you, you start to learn, oh, you know, this thing that I'm eating there, that's really not working because that's super high in saturated fat. And I actually, how can I, how can I modify that? How can I adjust that? And then you make it work. And then you don't have to repeat the weighing and the measuring all the time. I mean, yes, over time, you're likely to go again into a bit more unhealthier habits, yeah. you know, and then you just repeat it and you just reset. But it's not an issue because now you've learned how to have that that basic way of eating that's going to work for you all the time. Yeah. So yeah, in the beginning, you know, I'm, I'm not against, I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, no, I, I, love, I love that you mentioned that just, just to, just to add to that. Like, I think it's really, really, really important because, you know, it takes a lot of trial and error as well, right? Like yes. you said earlier about likes and dislikes, what your body can cope with and, and what's different. Exactly. For so me and John have got a very similar goal right now, but mm-hmm. it looks very different, you know, mm-hmm. Because again, we're individuals and we must acknowledge that. So anyone listening, thank you so much, Tash, for for like really underlining that because it's really, really important to, again, come back to meeting yourself where you are. I think it's so yes. necessary. Yes, yes. And that's why it's so important to 
for each individual, as you were saying, to really get to understand and to learn their body, invest that time. And this is mentally, physically, when it comes to exercise, physically, when it comes to nutrition, um, you know, that overall mindset that you want to develop because, yeah, we're, we're, we're all so different. You know, what happiness means to me is not what happiness means to you. So that's already when it start, where it starts. That's why I'm saying my book is your blueprint, yeah. you know, but I'm actually not giving you the blueprint. Mm-hmm. You will never in my book say like, do this, do this, do this, do this. No, it's like, this is how you can learn more about yourself in this regard. This is how you can learn more about this. This is how you can explore more about this. So yes, I'm giving scientific facts, but you need to make it work for yourself unfortunately maybe that was too much of a spoiler alert and nobody's gonna get the book anyway. what? that's the only way it's the only way honestly i believe that you create sustainable change is to make absolutely individualized yes. and personalized and we're all about lasting change here so you're you're yes. you're preaching to the right choir with our listeners for sure because <laughs> still- that's why it's so hard that's why it's so hard because as you said you have to put that work in yeah. right you have to take the time nobody can help you with that um i mean yes of course you can get help with like getting the information getting the knowledge uh getting the facts but still there's going to be so many facts that you know and we know that i mean when it comes to sports science and wellness science i can find you studies that prove and disprove everything and they're all right that's the problem (laughs) (laughs) which in itself can be super stressful right so let's talk stress addiction tell us more exactly so stress addiction um so let's go through a little example let's say you started work and uh you're highly motivated and you're quite relaxed in terms of your mindset you're young you don't have a family yet you don't have your kids yet you know so you get into this habit of working quite a lot and you actually enjoy it because you feel like, you know, you get a lot of reward from it. So that's great. Um, you feel quite productive when you're constantly a little bit stretched, right? You're achieving new heights. Uh, you might do projects that you never thought you could or would do at such a young point uh, in your life, such a young stage. Um, and yeah, it all feels great. That is positive stress. So we have positive stress as well. We call that oil stress. Um, so now time goes on. You are now still in the same company. You are known as the person who always gets everything done fast. So you're going to get asked to do more and more and more. So you're starting to feel like, okay, this is, you know, I'm reaching my, I'm reaching my, uh, my limit because time is limited, right? There's only so and so many hours in the day. At the same time, you're now also starting to have a family. You're maybe starting to have children. So there's other pressures and other stressors that you have in your private life. It's not just work anymore that you have. So the stress is starting to build up. Slowly, it's switching. Slowly, you're going into what we call de-stress. So not a negative stress, uh, not a positive stress. The problem is also that you didn't have a time to decompress in between. Because you might go on vacation, but then on vacation, by the time you're actually physiologically out of your stress zone, uh, you're back to work. Um, and chances are you have other things to think about, you know, so you're probably never really fully de-stressing. And then you find yourself at a state where you really struggle um, to focus. You struggle to relax 
if somebody would tell you just do nothing, that's not an option, right? Uh, because you just can't. Uh, when you want to watch a movie, you find your hand going searching for your phone and checking social media and then, or something else or an email comes up and something is happening. Oh, you're going to meet my cat before you meet my dog. I don't know if you can hear her. <laughs> she likes to talk when I talk. It's all right. We've, we've had cats on the podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> um, a loud one like this one. So... And uh, you might find yourself not being able to focus on work tasks as well as you used to before because there's too many of them. Uh, you might find yourself switching off even when you're listening to a very interesting conversation with a loved one, with a family member. So you're struggling in all areas, right? For your own mental health and well-being, you're struggling socially and you're struggling at work. Um, but what has happened now is that physiologically, you have been exposed to stress hormones for such a long time that this is your normal. Yeah. Um, so used to the high adrenaline levels, you're used to the high cortisol levels. What happens when we're stressed? Our whole system is elevated. Yeah. We're functioning better. This is why that positive stress in the beginning um, felt good. You were productive. And it's true. You are more productive when you're stressed. Stress is a normal part of life. But what we should have, I already mentioned, is these decompression times where your body is able to recover and where your body is able to experience all of our relaxing hormones, uh, all of our wellness hormones, so to say. Um, but if you never had that or you haven't had it for a very long time, you don't even know what that feels like. So relaxation for a lot of people can actually feel uncomfortable in the beginning because they might feel like, uh, you have the book behind you, the burnout epidemic. Um, they will probably feel the full extent of their burnout when they are relaxed. Yeah. Because this is when your body might be able to yeah. decompress and let go of all of that. Yeah. Um, you're very likely after a prolonged period of stress to fall into a temporary depression. Yeah. That's okay. Or we don't talk about it. We don't talk about depression being okay at certain times. Um, feelings of depression, the lethargy, uh, the inability to, to do something, uh, the need to withdraw from anything and anyone, uh, the need to do nothing and the inability to do something. Uh, but these are healthy symptoms of recovering from prolonged periods of stress. Now, if you're not aware of that, the moment you start dipping into these sensations, you're going to completely panic and you're going to go back to where you were before, which is to your normal stress level. Because that, even so, you might be aware and you might already have symptoms of discomfort that is still more comfortable than these unknown feelings of relaxation. Yeah. That is so interesting, the way you've described that. Like, you basically just, like, mirrored back a period of my life um, to me and <laughs> more to the listeners as well. When I first met Jonathan, I was one of these people that I couldn't sit still. I was like, he, he's fantastic at doing nothing. Um, and he's like, just, I said, right, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He's like, um, nothing. And I'm like, that's not even an option. And anyway, it's time yeah. <laughs> the more work that I then started to do, I realised exactly that. I was hooked. And I'd been 
I'd been hooked on stress hormones since a child and I didn't realize that until I got to the well I've been for a couple of burnouts burnout shows up very differently um depending on what type it is um but one period of burnout for me was exactly like you described it was like it it shifted from this negative form of stress I'd figured that part out I'd figured out like the unresolved emotion and the the beliefs and past experiences I'd done a lot of work there and I started to move into this place of feeling really liberated and really empowered and I was just in my stride you know I felt really really good stress got more and more and more and not necessarily in a bad way stress it wasn't like I was in a toxic environment or anything like that It was actually, no, it was just like the pressure that I would put on myself to then strive more and more and more. And this is what I find with high performers as well, is that we get to this point where it's like, it's all well and good until it's not. And then Mm -hmm. it was funny, a a friend of mine actually said to me, she's like, because I was like, what's happening? Like, what is going on? I didn't understand. And she was like, maybe you're actually at a point in your life where everything's okay now. Like it's and and where now you've stopped. She's like, this is, this is what good it feels like, and I'm like, what? Like, and it, <laughs> what do I, you mean? <laughs> like, I didn't realize. So I, I love how you just described that because it's so on point, and I think it's really necessary to be able to identify where you are in those different stages. Yes, particularly that it's very normal to have those, um, you know, absolutely drops. And I think also, and again, I can also absolutely relate. So what happened to me when I started uh, that first training, I was uh, describing fitness management, you know, I felt physically better. Um, So I was studying and it was, I think it was a good eight hours a day. And then I was working, starting to work in a gym. And I had already from before, I was waitressing as well to make money. So, you know, my training did uh, my educational training did cost money and uh, I had to pay my rent. And um, and suddenly I was starting to have uh, symptoms of uh, high blood pressure. Uh, you know, and again, I was still quite young back then. I had no idea. I mean, at that point, I didn't feel stressed at all um, because I think I was under so much stress from the pain before. So being able to do all these kind of things, I mean mentally I was fully in the positive stress you know I was like I can do this I can actually do things you know there was no mental stress for me at all but I suddenly had these physical symptoms and I was like what 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 is going on right and then uh, a friend as well sat me down and was like so how much are you working like if we put study in there as well and I ended up with like 70 to 80 hours every week and I've been doing that for one year, one and a half years at that time. You know, and I was like, hmm, okay. And then also working as a waitress, you know, so over the weekend I would have shifts and I would work until late at night. And uh, and so obviously, you know, uh, quite a recipe for, for super stress back then. Uh, but again, because I was so young, I didn't notice, um, you know, or because I had that uh, the backstory of, of a completely different sort of mental stress and physiological stress. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. You know, I really did not occur to me that I may be doing too much. <laughs> that that's maybe not gonna not gonna go on forever like that. Um, and what I wanted to say as well, I think now this is obviously quite or relatively easy to understand. But then I think what what's uh, something really important to keep in mind is 
is that everyone is so different. And this is something for me personally, it took me a long time to understand. I struggled for the longest time with balance because I always thought, you know, I need to have balance in each and every day. So I need to have like my high pressure and full on, and then I need to relax and I need to do all of that in the same day. And now I know that's not who I am. That doesn't work for me. So what I do is I work like crazy and I'm full on and I'm super productive. I'm very switched on and I do six different things. Uh, I always have different programs where people think like, oh, how, how does this even all together? It goes together in my mind, makes perfect sense. Um, and the more I do, the more creative I am and the more new ideas I have. And I love that. And I'm not, I've learned not to limit myself in these phases, uh, but to then try and have times where I really don't do anything. And I'm not enjoying it because I'm enjoying the times where I don't do anything, but it's still very challenging for me to then get back into work time again. Yeah. Um, so that switch for me is still difficult. It will probably always be difficult. I don't know. Um, the only thing I do do, and that has made a huge difference, uh, you know that I love my ice baths, so that's something that I do. But I think even more important is regular breathing and meditation uh, practices. And, and that's something that I've become very consistent with. For me, meditation is, uh, is, is mostly manifestations and mostly um uh you know having having that moment for myself where I just really um engage with my with my dreams with my hopes with my aspirations so one could argue okay that's still being switched on and yes it is um but again you know it's something that everybody has to figure out for themselves and I think this this is something that is really not talked about a lot is that what can that balance we talk about stress and we talk about de-stressing but we don't really talk about the long-term management of one's high energy versus low energy slash downtime can look like because that can look so many different ways you know for some people it's like pull on during the week and then I do nothing during the weekend that works for some people um for some people it's like every day you know I work that amount of time I come home buff I do nothing um for some people it's like I don't know four week on one week off um for me it's more like three four months on two three four weeks off (laughs) it's finding that rhythm isn't it and I think everybody's got their own rhythm that again like we said earlier we've got to you know at some point just take a little look and observe ourselves and see what does that rhythm look like you know it's like you said that the meditation the style of meditation that you do to others it might feel like you're still on but if it triggers that state where you're able to relax and recuperate and your nervous system is feeling that and is very aware that now we're not in a heightened positive stress state or even negative stress state, we're actually in a place of peace or harmony. And I always say like it's really important to maybe strive for more what harmony feels like rather than balance, um, only because Mm -hmm. of the connotations that appear with balance. Um, And 
it's so different for everyone and taking a walk outside or playing with your dog like you said there's so many different things but I think it's really important to be aware of what it is you do when you are having the downtime because very often a lot of people think they're having downtime but what that's really doing is putting more stress onto the body so back in the day when I was younger you know I thought my downtime was when I would go out drinking at the weekend with my friends but actually that drinking was creating so much stress in my system that I was exhausted by the time Monday come around again. Of course. Yeah. So, and we do this all the time. And typically here in the UAE, for expats, it's, you know, alcohol is still definitely a thing. But, um, you know, for other people, it is food. It's the type of food. Or high intensity exercise even. Yes, yes. We talk about that often on the podcast. Uh, you know, we think it's something that's helping us let out all of this extra energy. And more often than not, because of the lack of awareness of what our bodies need, we're actually making an already strained system even more strained, aren't we? Yeah, still is neurological stress. I also want to say, you know, with the stress and, and what we're talking about, burnout and, and uh, feeling all these feelings. I mean, a lot of people know uh, this phenomenon have experienced that phenomenon of the moment it's your vacation you're getting sick you're getting that cold you're getting that flu you're getting something yeah. right and it happens to a lot of people and it's exactly the same on a physiological level and I was talking about mentally you know this is when your body finally gets to relax yeah. so it's off yeah and and that's where we get sick and we get ill um but yeah, what you were saying about balance or harmony, I mean, I think whatever it is, it's just being aware that there's different cycle yeah. options. So it can be a micro cycle, it can be a macro cycle. Some people like the macro cycle, some yeah. people like the micro cycle, you know. So it's still obviously making sure that the stress that you experience during that cycle stays positive stress. You know, I think this is what I do with my type of meditation or mindfulness practice is I know that I'm still stressed during these times. Mm-hmm. Um, if I would just talk physiologically and, and mentally, there is stress. Um, but the mindfulness helps me keep it in a positive stress range. Mm-hmm. And yes, I do do that for quite long periods of time, which is why then my recovery is also, has to be also for quite prolonged periods of time. Yeah. Um, and it is risky what I do because, for example, last year, and, you know, we talked about that, uh, I didn't get a break that I thought I would get and kind of went straight into the next very long, stressful uh, period. And there I was feeling like I, I just worked seven months straight through, which I basically did. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, said, that's it's a tricky one to manage, isn't it? Sometimes. And it like one of the things that helps for me is still meditation, but it is more of a, like a sensational meditation. It brings me mm-hmm. back to my body. We spoke obviously at the very start of this conversation about mind body connection. And for me, when I'm in that heightened stress, go, go, go mode, whether it's unhealthy or healthy, I end up spending a lot of time in my mind, essentially, obviously this is you know very superficial assuming the mind is different from the body but you know um when i feel there's a disconnect between my mind mm-hmm. and body that's when i'm i know that i need to rein it in and that's almost like my cue to say okay charlotte what needs to happen now <laughs> what 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 do i need do i need to go and have a day at the pool do i need to go and meditate do i need to go for a walk do i need to read a good book like what is it that i actually need yeah. it's knowing i guess what those clues are 
right because stress leaves clues so how does somebody in your eyes and you've touched upon a few things there already how does somebody like break that addiction to stress well awareness is the first thing right uh being honest with with oneself and acknowledging right i think this is where i am at Mm. um then being aware that relaxation will probably feel uncomfortable in the beginning it will not feel good that's okay and you still have to go through it um but again if we don't acknowledge that fact then you're just going to go back to where you were before um so acknowledging the fact yes you were there uh being aware what it can may feel like and that might not be comfortable and that you will very likely be less productive during that time you might again want to withdraw I just had a conversation as well earlier about, uh, you know, someone was telling me, oh, I need to go back to my social life and I need to go back to this and this and this and I need to go back doing this. Uh, I used to be this kind of person. I was like, yeah, but so here's the thing. You're not anymore, you know. Um, So going back, in my opinion, is a very good thing. Uh, What worked for you before might most probably not work for you anymore so even once you're after that recovery period you know what you're doing then might still be different to what you used to do before but definitely in the recovery period you know relaxation is going to look different to what you've done before uh or might um so then it's again awareness what do i need right now what do i actually want right now what feels good you know what 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 is my body telling me that mind body connection you know what is my body telling me what is my mind telling me what do we really want to do it's okay if you don't want to go out with your friends you know it's okay if you don't want to socialize it's okay if you just want to sit and watch tv for one week straight if that's what you need to do then that's what you got to do what's really interesting about what you just said there is when you've given those examples you were saying it's okay Right. Because I think the other thing that we end up tying ourselves in knots with, we're like, okay, well, I need to not go out with my friends this weekend. And then it's, but what will they think of me? Should I? I should be going out with my friends. If I don't go out with them now, I might not see them for another month or whatever. Right. Like, and this, the stories begin. Right. And our mind will just go off on one. So it's, I don't want anybody listening to this to, to over, like overlook what you said about the meeting it with it's okay meet it with compassion it's completely okay your friends are still gonna they're gonna understand they might be relieved that you're not gonna go hang out with them because they need the exact same thing you know so like being kind to ourselves in that process is absolutely critical isn't it yes honest kind compassionate um i think for me it's the honesty you know and uh uh and also keeping the bigger picture in mind why are you doing that you know, if if the recovery is not feeling great, uh, why are you doing that? Because this is where you were before and you know this is not going to be sustainable for much longer. Um, so, and then sticking to it. But again, we're coming to that, you know, element of, of self-love and really acknowledging that you're worth it. You're worth taking that break. You know, you, you deserve to take that break. Um you need to take that break uh but again that's that's your bigger purpose right that's your why why are you doing that um why do you need to do that right now why can't it not wait so prioritizing yourself prioritizing your own recovery um because we're talking about stress addiction so yes it is a recovery right and uh, and with any other addiction 
the recovery from stress addiction has to come from within yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, any kind of addictive behavior, the only person who can who can make the right choices and who can really create a change is the person themselves. Um, so that's also important to know because maybe it's not you who, who are addicted to stress. Uh, maybe it's a friend or a loved one. Yeah, you can tell them as much as you want. Relax, take a break. Yeah. If they're not ready, it's not going to work. Exactly. I found one of the best things that people can do when a loved one is going through some form of stress addiction or even burnout is to just lead by example. Um, mm. and often the, the example that you set can plant a much deeper seed than any words you ever speak. Yeah. No, I agree. And also, you know, maybe also saying, hey, you know, I'm there for you. Of course. Yeah. But you need to tell me how. <laughs> you know, um, you lead the way, right? But just, yeah. just know that I'm there for you. I support you. Um, and yeah, the rest really has to come from, from each individual. For sure. So Tash, there's two other things I really want to ask you about that are in your book. One, you talk about this concept of like building the happiness muscle. And mm -hmm. secondly, you talk about the three month bucket list. So I'd love for you to perhaps dive into those two things before we wrap up today's conversation. So uh, building your happiness muscle really builds on what we we're just discussing about. So once you have uh, overcome that or, or you've gotten your body out of all of these stress hormones, um, just because you've done that doesn't actually mean that you have the ability to uh, to experience happiness just yet. Um, because you might not know anymore what that feels like. And you were actually talking about it earlier. So your friend saying, you know, maybe everything is just okay right now. Maybe everything, yeah, like it's all good. Just be happy, you know. And you're like, what? <laughs> Don't know what that feels like. Um, so it's that. Yeah, so learning, relearning to experience happiness, uh, relearning to notice the small things. So there we talk a little bit about being present in the moment as well. And um, there's another thing, uh, and I think it's under uh, training your happiness muscle, it's uh, creating pockets of happiness. Mm. So the pockets of happiness exercise is very simple. You find something that makes you happy. And if happy is too big a word in the beginning, that's fine. We can go with content as well. So something that makes you content. Let's say listening to your favorite song. Yeah. And, uh, and you then practice that. So this is how you train your happiness muscle. So you set yourself a timer or an alarm and three times a day, you train your happiness muscle by listening to your favorite song and you're just content. Life is good right now listening to my favorite song and you practice that it's going to be really hard in the beginning so now you might think this, this sounds a bit stupid and silly but um try being content yeah. not even saying happy but just try being content for the duration of your song which is around three minutes right most songs are around three minutes three to four minutes really difficult because if you're used to uh, overthinking stuff, worrying about things. A lot of us are worriers, right? So we haven't actually talked about worrying, but worrying is a big one, isn't it? Uh, when it comes to stress. So yeah, try getting into the habit of, of just being content for three minutes. It's really hard in the beginning. It is a practice. 
So, but this is how we train our happiness muscle because you can't expect yourself to now go out. And a lot of people will say that uh, when it comes to coaching, I can't experience happiness anymore. No matter what, I'm not, I, it's not doing anything. I'm not excited about anything. I'm not happy about anything. I'm not, I'm, I'm not feeling the feelings anymore. It's like, I'm numb. How do I get my mojo back? You know, it's like nothing is worth it anymore. It's like, what's the point? Yeah. And that's obviously not a statement we like to hear as, as life coaches, right? Because this is this is danger zone. Um, so finding that purpose is super, super important. But again, it comes with a practice. Happiness is a practice, like anything else, like brushing your teeth, right? At some point, somebody told you it's important that you brush your teeth twice a day because otherwise that and that and that is going to happen. It's the same with happiness, you know, especially if we haven't done it for a long time. If you haven't been happy for a long time, how are you expecting yourself to just do it? You know, you need to practice it. You need to slowly build it up. So that's creating the, the pockets of happiness. That's uh, the theory around um, uh, training your happiness muscle. Um, and Again, I just love, uh, you know, bringing examples from fitness because it makes total sense. It's yeah. the same thing. Do the right? uh, because whether we exercise or whether we train our mind uh, to either be sharper and brighter and more productive or to be happier, it's always the same formula. Start small, but be consistent. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter uh well it doesn't matter how much you 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 stretch yourself yeah so you want to challenge yourself a little bit um but not too much and you just want to be consistent and less is very often more so same with the happiness muscle but again we're going to extremes right oh so now i'm not stressed anymore so now i'm going to be happy yeah exactly it's that jumping from <laughs> fear and shame to wanting to be joyful and living the this enlightened liberated life there, there's there's steps in between and I think that often gets overlooked. So I'm so happy. And no one is always happy as well, right? I mean, that's the other thing where people then think like, oh, to to be happy, that means to be a happy, content, relaxed person. That's what we want to be. Okay, we need to do that all the time. No, exactly. you're that's still going to be unhappy. You know, you're still going to be unhappy. You're still going to be sad. Unfortunately, life is still going to throw stuff at you and you'll have to deal with it. Yeah. And you will deal with it. But it's it's about our ability to actually feel the feelings and not let them take us all the way somewhere yeah. you know and and being again mindful and aware there's so much control that we have um but we kind of assume that happiness is something that's just going to be thrown at us or it isn't yeah right yeah. so we're in that very passive uh attitude where it's always about oh i need to do this or i need to do that so. i'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's sometimes really common to hear people say, well, this person can be happy and they're happy all the time. Actually, nobody is happy all the time. Like you said, emotions exactly. are fleeting. And if you've got somebody in your life that you think is just this jazz hands, happy, happy, joyful person all day, every day, chances are there's actually probably something deeper going on with that individual. Um, yes. And, you know, there is such thing as toxic positivity as well that can actually be masking, you know, other things that somebody's experiencing. And not because they're, there's a, they are in the wrong in any way it just because sometimes it's just they don't know any better so it's yes. really important just to have that awareness about other people as well the other thing you ask about the three months bucket list uh, so that's actually a really quick one this is simply about 
having a three months bucket list rather than pushing ourselves too far to again and we touched on this now so many times um today rather than thinking we're going to do something forever and we're going for extremes so the three months bucket list is something about i'm going to try this for the next three months i'm going to be consistent but i'm going to explore how this fits yeah. um you know and if that works or if it rather doesn't work for us so that's something great that we can do yeah. yeah so it's it's as i said it's it's a very quick uh quick one it's quite uh quite intuitive really you know as i said we were talking about not expecting ourselves to do something forever and so that's just a nice playful way of sitting down putting a few things on paper talking about okay what would i like to try you know and maybe you are going to put down i want to get up at 4 30 every day you know but don't expect that you're going to do it and then fail. And it, it helps us to frame uh, the context as well if you're trying something new. Because, yes, sometimes uh, you might have something that you really want to do and that can work for you, but it's about being consistent with it, getting into the habit of it. So I feel like by having three three months, you know, that's like more achievable for us than saying, oh, I'm going to do that for such and such and such yeah. um, amount of time. I'm going to do that forever. Exactly. Know? I really like that time frame of like three months as well, because I think sometimes high performers and overachievers can bite off a little bit more than we can chew. Uh, so <laughs> that, that knowing that three months, great. And if you want to then continue it, fantastic and keep on going. But it's yeah. giving yourself permission that actually, OK, this three month, month mark, we're going to pause, we're going to review, we're going to see, we're going to check in. Yeah. So, so important. Brilliant. But also three months is long enough um, to still get results, even if you're not sticking to it religiously. Yeah. So that's also important. So it's not like, you know, sometimes we say it takes 21 days or three weeks to create a habit. Um, but then during these three weeks, you might not actually do something every single day. Um, and that's still called consistency. You know, even if you do something every second day, that's still being consistent. Um, so with three months, we can also give ourselves permission to uh, not do what we set out to do sometimes, and we still get the results. Yeah. So that's why three months is uh, is also quite quite relevant there. Perfect. Amazing. Tash, listen, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have you on the show and to have this conversation with you. Obviously, all of the links to where our listeners can find you will be in the show notes as uh, alongside where they could obviously get their hands on your book. Is there anything else that our listeners need to be aware of that we haven't mentioned? No, I don't think so. I do a lot of different things, as you know. So, you know, I'm not even going to dive in there because otherwise we sit here another three hours. Everywhere on your um, links that we'll provide will help people to come yeah, in a little bit deeper as well. And everybody that is based here in Abu Dhabi or even in Dubai, just watch this space for potentially some more events coming from Tash as well. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, really so much fun. Thank you so much for being here. Thank <laughs> you.